Good morning. This is Carla Samoth on the call with Aaron Carr, who is the author of forthcoming memoir, Strung Out, One Last Hit and Other Lies That Nearly Killed Me. And this is coming out February 25th, right? Yes. With Park Row Books. And I'm the author of One Day on the Gold Line, a memoir and essays, which came out last July. Um, and we're just going to have a conversation. I think that we, we have some themes in common. Um, we both write a lot about motherhood, or, or we, that definitely is a part of our books, and, um, and also about addiction and lots of other issues. So um, I wanted to start out just, Erin, um, <laughs> congratulations, your book Thank is coming. You. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is this your first um, book? This is my first book. I have um, essays in a couple of anthologies, but this is my first standalone book. And it's exciting and nerve-wracking and everything, as you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, um, like, what are you most nervous about and what are you most looking forward to in terms of the book actual release date? Well, I think in terms of, I'm not really nervous about people reading it and having any sort of judgment because I've been writing um, personal essays and autobiographical um, articles for a long time. I have a weekly advice column in which I often talk about my past. And so I'm not nervous about that. I, I guess it's just the whole, you know, they, I've, I've heard people compare publishing a book being similar to like birthing a child. And in some ways it is because there's so many of these sort of unknowns about what it's going to be like when the book is finally here and a part of the world. The yeah. thing that's, that's surreal is you take part of your life and distill it into a narrative and then it's its own sort of living thing in this world and that's separate from you. But when it's about your own life, that's a very surreal feeling. <laughs> So I'm excited, you know, of course I'm anxious. I hope that people like the book. I hope that it resonates with people. And um, of course I want as many people as possible to read it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard the same thing. I have to say, I also have called sometimes when I've like gotten flustered when there's a lot going on during a reading. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, this is like baby brain or right. bride brain, book brain. Uh -huh. um, they just sent around... Um, poets and writers had an article. I don't know if you saw it about, I think it was like post book depression. I did. I did see that. I did. I, I was joking with somebody that I felt like I had pre book depression. Yeah. I, it's, you know, there's, it's just a very, you know, it's, there's so much buildup and anticipation. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, it's really hard to stay present and not get into like, you know, like the what ifs of both success and failure. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, so it, it's been, it's, it's interesting. I'm trying to sort of observe how I'm feeling along the way and not be judgmental about it because I have, a t that's like my go-to tendency is to like be judgmental of what I'm feeling because I find it embarrassing to like feel anxious or nervous or, you know, worried or, or any of these things. I want to act like I don't care and like, oh, it's fine. Like no matter what happens, I don't really care, but I do care. <laughs> Yeah, I totally get that. I know. And there's a lot of pressure, I think, to present a certain face to the world. And mm -hmm. yet, on the other hand, here we are writing memoirs where we hope that we're presenting our like most honest face to the yeah. world. So it's complicated. Um, I, 
wondered one thing I wondered about um, for you, we both also write a fair amount about trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always thought, you know, I always had a response when people would ask questions like, oh, is it therapeutic to huh. write your book? And I was like, no, most write, a lot of writers need therapy afterwards, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I wondered what the editing process was like for you, because I'll just say that for my book, um, I had to go back in. Like, I guess I thought that editing, see, I had this image, which might be a little bit what they talked about in that article, that you know, once my book was accepted for publication, I'd be able to just move on to the next project. Mm-hmm. And it it didn't end up being like that for me at all. You know, I spent a lot of, I wanted to do the best job at editing that I could. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then also, emotionally, I remember um, someone, a mentor saying, you know, be, be, take good care of yourself when you go back in there because it's dark. <laughs> right. And I was surprised. I thought, oh, I'll be editing with much more remove. Um, but there were many times when my editor said, no, you know, go back, you know, you need more, you know, and I didn't want to, you know, there's one chapter um, where I'm writing about an assault by a sheriff's deputy. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long time since I'd written it. And when I wrote it, it was a cover story for um, the Pasadena Weekly. So it wasn't, um, it was written more journalistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she wanted to sort of wring out more emotion and reflection in that, you know, and it just like eked out a little bit more, but it was very challenging. I had to go back and look at, um, or actually I had my wife go back and look at some footage from after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in general, I, it was much more, um, there was much more emotion involved in that process in the editing and even reading is wonderful but you're reading these things that are you know you you're right there again and you remember it and it's wonderful to share it with other people but um it's also kind of I think can put you in a little bit of a PTSD place (laughs) as well yeah I mean I think that I I hear a lot of people talk about um oh you know it must have been so cathartic to write a memoir and for me, you know, I needed enough distance from events to be able to write them with any sort of like clear vision. And um, so I think that like, you know, a lot of the therapy is done before being able to write about it. Right, um, right. You know, um, but but I felt the same way. I, I had a little bit of a different experience in that I um, my book went to auction in July of 2018 um, I had written a few chapters and I had a you know, very strong outline in, in my proposal, but I hadn't written the book. Uh, so from I wrote the book in three and a half months. Wow. And um, then I, when I got edits back, I had a month to do my edits. <laughs> and that because I, I, you know, I went so fast in the, the first handing in the first manuscript, I, you know, definitely there were parts that were difficult, but I also found that when I was going through edits, that that was more emotionally taxing. And I think part of it was like what you said, my editor, you know, definitely there were certain scenes that she wanted me to stay in longer. Mm -hmm. And I thought what was interesting is that there were scenes that maybe I had rushed through in the initial manuscript because it was uncomfortable being back in certain moments. Um, 
So So I think that it's really important for anyone writing about their own life, A, to be in a place that they have done some, some work to process it. Because I think that it's really difficult to write about something if you're still in the thick of the trauma. Um, And, you know, most of the bulk of my book takes place, you know, 15 plus years ago, 15 to 30 years ago. So it's that I definitely have that that distance. Um, That said, it's amazing how putting yourself really back into a specific space and time how it can feel so fresh and near. Um, But it definitely, um, editing was an interesting experience. And and it all felt, you know, very intense just because I had such an accelerated schedule. You did, wow. That, it's like you were on a race. (laughs) I was. (laughs) Yeah, but I could see the value of that too. um, Because I felt like when I was writing, um, for me, I, I had pieces of my book that I was thinking about um, along the way over the last many years, but I didn't really focus on it till I went back to graduate school mm-hmm. um, and my son left home. And then I was going way back in time in some cases. And I remember that period actually feeling really um, like you, I'd had time to go through a lot of that. But then I took my book pretty close up to the present, mm-hmm. not exactly the present, I mean, but some years from the right. present. And, you know, because you have to cut it off. And, and, and plus, I kept finding people were screwing up my story arc. <laughs> Ch- you know, especially, you know, changes that can happen with kids and things like that. Right. And um, so I, you know, it was actually good to cut it off at a certain point. And I remember the actual putting it together, feeling more, you know, there what if you want the cathartic part is probably the whole aspect of memoir of reflection and being able to look back as the person you are now. Um, you know, I therapeutic, I would never say, <laughs> but right. do you get some reflection? Yes. And, um, I think for me too, it was the editing part that was a little more, uh, brutal than I expected. Not right. brutal. I mean, it was really satisfying too. Um, so not brutal in terms of, you know, the, feedback so much as like just pushing myself to do to go as far as I could so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um I was really interested um in your book when you were talking about um sharing when you first shared some of the information with your son Uh when he started asking you questions about um your life and specifically about drugs and um I was just sort of riveted to that part because I think that's a question a lot of us ask ourselves, like how much information do we disclose, whether it's Mm -hmm. about drugs or, you know, my son's asked about abortion, Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of things. Right. Um, Right. And, you know, I I really loved reading about that. And I wondered how how old is your son now? He's 16 now. 16. Okay. Yeah, and how does he feel about the book? Has he read it all, or uh... he has read a little bit of it? Um, his his reaction to some things has been, "Mom," you know. And I said to him, "I said I'm not going to stop you from reading the book." Obviously, I said, "But you know, there may be things that are in greater detail than you want to know about your mother." Right. And, right. But I'll leave it. I said, "You know, I'll leave it up to you. You're 16. You're not." too, you know, so um, he's read a little bit of it. I imagine that at some point he'll read the whole thing. 
Um, I don't have, you know, there's nothing in there that I wouldn't be willing to speak to him about because I think that for me growing up, um, and this is not, you know, a fault of my parents. It was a different time, a different, they came from a different generation and they were products of their own environments, but they just didn't talk to me about a lot of these things and some of them because they didn't have experience with them. But I wanted, as I began to open up to my son about various things, I wanted him to know that the things that he may feel, um, he didn't have to be alone in them because that was sort of like a, a major theme throughout my adolescence was that I felt like such a monster and I felt so ashamed of my depression and so ashamed of feeling suicidal and so ashamed of some of the trauma that had happened that I didn't know that there was anybody else that felt that way. Even though obviously I knew other people went through things, I still felt very isolated in what I was feeling. And it just left me feeling like there was something wrong with me. And I really wanted him to know, obviously also he shares my genetics, that if he was struggling with any sort of mental health issues or was faced with um, choices that he was going to make about experimenting with drugs, that he knew that he could come with come to me with questions or for help. Um, you know, I've been fortunate thus far that he hasn't, you know, his, his adolescence has been very, very different than mine was. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I really wanted to make sure that he had tools, even if he didn't use them, that he knew they were there if he needed them. Right. It seems like also that the whole, the book and what you went through seems like that's a really, even though that, that isn't why you wrote it, <laughs> probably, but it's a great way to sort of open up the conversation, even just to the subjects. I mean, it sounds like. Oh, you yeah. yeah. It's a, it, is a, it is part of the reason that I wrote it. I wanted, I mean, you know, I've said before that, uh, that, you know, I wrote the book that I needed when I was younger, but it's also, you know, I, and I thought about this in reading your book as well, you know, as I became a parent, I had so much more empathy and understanding of what my parents, right. from, their, from their perspective, what they went through with me. And um, I think that this, you know, I think that whether or not somebody has struggled with addiction per se, I wanted it to be a book that could open up conversations at, around the things that we're afraid to talk about with our parents and with our children. Because I do think that you know, if you can open up those conversations at home, that's like the safest place generally to do so. Oh, I really agree. I, I mean, I had similar, yeah, I had similar feelings about my book that, um, you know, I wanted to see families that looked like ours with experiences mm -hmm. like ours. And I was, I had, you know, when I was trying to have a baby and had a lot of miscarriages, Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't see a lot of books like that out there. Right. And then when I was trying to have a child on my own and then the blended and the unblended and the queer family, right. <laughs> you know, I didn't see, right. I didn't see so many books. There's more, you know, but I didn't right. see a whole lot of books like that. And so, you know, I think that a lot of authors, particularly memoirists will do that. I've heard, heard that more than once now about writing the book that you would have liked to have had available mm -hmm. to you at that time. Um, and, and I felt that way also because um, for me, both the act of reading another author's 
were, you know, and, and that was really helpful for me reading um, when I was reading a number of different addiction memoirs, mm-hmm. either by someone struggling with addiction or the family of. It was so right. helpful um, in terms of giving me more empathy for what my son was going through. Right. Um, so, um, you know, at the same time, I also remembering that connection, I really wanted to provide that connection to uh, readers. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd had the experience of publishing other pieces, um, I think beginning from many, oh my God, many, many years ago, I wrote a poem about the first miscarriage I had and someone came up to me and started talking about how she felt and, mm-hmm. you know, and having the experience. And I think that's a real, you know, it's, it's very, I don't want to say satisfying, you know, it, it, it feels good because I think we've, we're all looking, or a lot of us are looking for connection. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that for me, like I, I've, I, how I have always described what, you know, like what makes art good is subjective. But I think for me, and I think for a lot of people, the reason that a song or a painting or a sculpture or um, a a book resonates with us is because it reflects the experience of being a human. There's something about it that reflects our experience of, of being human. And I think that that's what my intention is in, you know, whether I'm writing fiction or nonfiction, that I want to to give that to the reader because that's something for me, I grew up, I started reading really early and even in, in fiction, that's what I craved is that I wanted some sort of reflection of my human experience in, in whatever it was, whether it was a song or a movie or a book or, or like I said, a painting. I mean, I needed that. I wanted that connection. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I still feel that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what um, was there anything in reading my memoir that you related to or connected to in terms of your own story? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, this is there was one thing that I was thinking about um, before we hopped on that really, I, I just, I mean, my heart just broke, and I understood it from like so many different <laughs> angles. There's a scene um, in your book when your son is going to be discharged. Mm-hmm. from his treatment center and he doesn't want to go home with you and the way that you describe your own behavior was yeah. a like really challenging and you really put it all out there on the page and I I related it to it so much both as a mother because I've had those you know not not exactly the same but like I've had those feelings with my teenager before with the sort of the ways in which he needs me and doesn't need me mm-hmm. and the ways in which maybe I have needed him <laughs> and right. that I having learning how to separate myself from that. And then I also made me think of my own mother. It was very hard for my parents when they, my, you know, as you know, my story was a little bit different in that I hid my addiction for 10 years before my parents found out when I went to rehab for the first time at 23 it was really difficult for my parents to understand that I was an addict. Um, And it was very much like, Oh, you don't need to be here. Like you just need to, you know, let's get you, you know, there was this like, let's get you out of here and take care of you sort of thing. And that's not what I needed. Um, So I, I just, it really, that, that moment just really (laughs) struck me because I understood it from your son's perspective. Um, 
in some of the situations I had with my own mother and then also understood it now as a mother of a teenage boy that, that, you know, that that's sort of like an extreme case of something that we all go through as mothers. Yeah, I mean, and I think in that scene, um, it was really important for me to write about it with as much agency, you know, to just Mm -hmm. show just how crazy, you know, often the behavior of people who are dealing with uh, a close person, family member's addiction is more insane than whatever the addict is doing. And um, certainly mine was in that case, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was so obsessed with I had to do things exactly as I was instructed and somehow otherwise that wouldn't fix. The right. Problem. Even though I knew better by then, you know. Right. But it's an emotional you're operating from like this purely emotional place. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was that was pretty crazy. Um, and I think I had actually I had actually published that essay that as a separate essay in um, Brainchild uh-huh. before. Um, but I remember just thinking like, wow, I'm really, you know, once you put out, like what what you said about how you're already writing, you know, been writing for your column and been publishing essays. And so things were out there. Once you start doing that and, and you see, well, it's okay, you know, right. People can actually relate to it. And if somebody thinks you're crazy, you know, that's fine. (laughs) Right. Um, that, you know, then it's much easier to continue to be, um, to really write about those situations that are really, uh, that really gut you. Um, Right. And that in some ways can be really, you know, feel really humiliating at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's nothing quite like being afraid that your child or someone you love, you know, particularly your child might die. Um, In the case of my son, he wasn't really able to hide it from me. You know, there was a very close relationship in the first place because most of the time, a lot of the time uh, when we weren't in the blended family, it was the two of us. And so, you know, there's a certain intensity with one mom and one child that, that absolutely is, that that can be negative, but there's also mm-hmm. a beautiful intensity that people don't talk about that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is, is that he was more using for sort of obliteration versus right. um, socially. And so it was impossible not to, not to know, you know, even right. I wanted to not know, but you right. know, um, it's interesting because the whole thing about separating also, um, you know, I, I'm sort of like noticing those things now in, in, you know, in also in positive ways, but, um, but just the, you know, kind of the, the, the healthy heartbreak that you feel as a parent when, when you're, when your kid's doing okay, when they're doing well, and, but they're really living their own life, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and you don't, you can give an opinion, (laughs) but, you know, you don't get to decide, you know, it's their time to, right. Not that you get to decide for sure before either necessarily but um but there really is this feeling of kind of letting go and um you know and 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 a certain you know sadness you know because there's so many beautiful parts of being a parent you know that that you know you experienced and that you know you move on these are like almost fully formed adults you know (laughs) my son is almost 24 right and I know their brain is still cooking until they're around 28 or something. Yeah. <laughs> but he's pretty much living his life, you know. So uh, It's funny. I read something recently that said um, mothers, like a mother raising a boy is like being in the world's 
longest, slowest, most painful breakup. <laughs> and I think, you know, you could oh, substitute it have to be just sons. <laughs> I think that anybody, any parent, that there is something about that. It's like this very long, slow separation. And it's, you know, it's, you're torn as a parent because it's, you, it's so exciting as our children learn to walk and talk and do things for themselves, wash their hands, you know, all the little right, things they right. learn to do. But with each step, it's like them separating from us. And for, for somebody that's given birth to a child, it's, there's like this physicality of like they started inside of us. And then over time, like over the years and years that there, there's this physical separation that happens. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, bittersweet. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great description. Um, I had once heard from someone who said that it was like a love affair that never stopped, that kept going at the same intensity. So that's right. sort of the flip side of it. It's right. too, you know, you're gradually separating with each stage, and and it's it's the right thing to happen, you know, and it's beautiful. But like you said, it's the most painful thing too. And I, you know, think when I originally thought I might only have one child. I'd imagined having a girl because I was always very related to women. And then I forgot, well, first of all, I forgot how much I, I was like, you know, I was very boy male oriented when I was younger, kind of, I don't even use this word anymore so much, but tomboy. Um, according to my old fourth grade classmates, I was like Aria from Game of Thrones. <laughs> so um, I think that stereotype about mothers and sons, I think there's some truth to that. Right. <laughs> like I discovered it really is a unique relationship and it, it really is, is quite mm-hmm. lovely. Um, so, yeah. Um, are you, um, will your son be going to any of your readings, do you think? Or I don't know. I mean, I don't think that he thinks that I'm cool enough to do that. <laughs> He's you know, 16. <laughs> he's 16. So I, I mean, I don't know. It remains to be seen. Maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. He has not expressed any interest in that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fine. You know, I originally, my son came to one big reading at a bookstore of Romans here. Um, and people actually asked him some questions. And I asked later, you know, how did you feel? Was that uncomfortable? And he said, no, no, it was okay. I just didn't want to hog the mic. Ah. Um, but um, but he's also really clear. Like, you know, we were asked if we wanted to do a, a podcast together. He's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so, um, you know, I gave him the book um, after I um, was, had an offer from a publisher. I gave him the, uh, the manuscript and said, here, you know, read this Um if you have any questions <laughs> or things you want changed or, and he's always been a big supporter of my writing the book. Mm-hmm. Um, he's heard some sections of it. You know, I also told him, you know, there are parts in this book that you don't need to read. You know, they're not about you. Right. <laughs> they might contain <laughs> sexual content. Right. He's like, Oh, I'm okay with that. And and then he, he didn't really read it. I don't think. And then mm-hmm. Um, he has a copy of the book after it came out, and he recently said, so I'm going to read it. You know, I'm not worried about reading it. I'll read the whole thing. And then, um, you know, he, he hasn't, and I don't know if he will. Right. Uh, and maybe some of that is self-protective. You know, he's certainly been supportive, and I think he also felt like the information would help other families. Right. Um, but, you know, I understand, you know, um, 
him not wanting to dig in right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a strange thing. I did, you know, I knew that I wanted, I, I didn't let anybody really read it until it was going, you know, until I had the ARCs. Right. And, but I did Smart. send them to my parents and both of my parents have read the book and are really supportive, but it was really hard for them to read this book. Really, really, especially for my mom, because there's so much of my mom in the book. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, I and I've said to my husband now, you know, I don't know if he'll read the book. He knows all of he knows everything that's happened in the book, but you know, he's not sure if he needs to go and live in those moments with me. <laughs> uh. And I am totally okay with that. I don't think that. You know, I think it's it's a lot easier to read a book by somebody that you don't that you aren't really close with because when you have an invested emotional relationship with somebody, it's going to affect you differently. Um, my best friend read a copy, you know, read read it a couple months ago, and and mm-hmm. it, you know she was also supportive and loved the book, but she said it's she said it was so hard to read some parts of it because mm-hmm. you know some things she knew. And I think that there are a lot of things in there like she knew or my parents knew, but they didn't know in detail and they didn't, you know, to be in a scene of something happening is different than knowing that something happened. Oh, very different. Yeah. It's an interesting thing as a, as a writer who writes about, you know, your own life, um, how the people in your life choose or, or choose not to (laughs) engage with it. Yeah, that is true. I know. I have one or two people who I thought would read it right away and haven't, and others that I wouldn't have expected that Mm -hmm. read it right through. Um, My wife says that she (laughs) she has finally read it. She's she's certainly read parts of it before Mm -hmm. because I had a number of essays that were published before. Right. And um, I haven't written much about her at all and probably Mm -hmm. won't. But I did write an essay, Mother's Day Triptych, a while back that was published in Mother Magazine. And mm-hmm. she, I showed it to her first. Um, right. And she actually, she encouraged me to read it at a reading out here. Um, and it kind of talks a little bit about the relationship between her and my son as well. Um, so, you know, but I, I'm very cautious uh, moving forward about writing about the people in my life and not because of anything that happened in publishing this. I'm just sort of ready to move on. I've started writing more fiction, mm-hmm. writing about, you know, not the same family, but sort of an intact family with two, two moms mm-hmm. and several kids Two are adopted, very multi-ethnic. Um, but I've written in the perspective of everyone other than the moms so far. <laughs> I'm kind of tired of my own story. I'm tired of writing in in the mom's perspective. I wrote in the perspective of one of their birth moms um, because two of the kids are adopted. Right. I haven't, you know, I've sort of veered away from the other, uh, you know, from from their actual moms. Um, And I found fiction and poetry really refreshing. I, I don't know. You wrote your book so quickly, you probably didn't have a chance to read anything else while you were writing it. But I was just wondering if, you know, like for me, I didn't, I, I stopped reading a lot of memoir when I was actually, you know, writing for public. Me too. I didn't yeah. write, I, did, I don't think I read, I think I read, 
I did. I read one memoir while I was writing the manuscript. And then when I was editing, I, I started reading memoir again. Right. But um, I did kind of stop reading memoir for those three and a half months because I just didn't want it to influence me inadvertently. Um, and I also just sort of needed some escapism. So like for me that like, I really like a good mystery. Oh, me too. So, yeah. Yeah. I also found episodic TV to be a good, you know, there were yeah. diff- different series that I watched at different times. Like when mm-hmm. I read that story about the Metro and I had to go really dark, I, that was years and years ago and I was watching Breaking Bad. I remember it really helped. <laughs> yeah, to go dark. So um, I had one other question for you and then if you have any, uh, was just, did you know, um, did you know what form you were going to write it, it in? you know, from having done the outline or once you started or how you imagined the book? Because it's it's written pretty chronologically, right? Yeah, I mean, I did. I, I had had the idea. Um, I had, when I, before I got my agents, I was working on a proposal and I had hired somebody to sort of help me with the proposal. And we, you know, when speaking with her, she had said, you know, why don't you try like opening it, opening a prologue in present day was sort of like, the question that you're going to answer. And it was very easy to pick out that question because this had just sort of happened. <laughs> and <laughs> great way with, to start. with my son asking me if I had ever done drugs. Um, but then um, my agents found me what, you know, in the meantime, my agents found me, I ended up signing with them and they said, stop working on the proposal. We're going to help you with it. So I wrote the proposal and absolutely, you know, I knew that it was going to be written sort of chronologically, but writing a, book proposal really helps you find a narrative arc for each chapter that continues the bigger narrative arc. And so it made it very easy because I knew going in sort of like what the events were going to be that unfolded within the chapter. And then it was a matter of picking, you know, zooming in on those certain scenes and telling the story through this like collection of moments. Wow, that is really interesting to hear. I mean, it's a really very methodical and it worked in a really rich way, um, you know, but it just, you know, sometimes structure can be so, um, it, it can be, it could even enhance your creativity, I think. Right. Well, yeah. it's funny because initially I didn't want to write it chronologically, but I feel like it worked. It worked really well for this. And um, I was able to sort of access places and memories and go deeper than I would have had I kept it um, a nonlinear sort of, you know, right. more nonlinear narrative. So I'm really glad that I ended up doing it this way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am really looking forward to seeing all everything that's going to happen when your book comes out. I think a lot of people will be really uh really affected and really I, I think that will have a lot of impact and it's a great read um thank you so much yeah yours is too I read yours so quickly <laughs> it's a it's a great you know I it's and I think that what's interesting is you know obviously yours is different in that it's a memoir and essays but there's still I didn't feel lost you know sometimes I've read memoirs and essays where you're jumping around so much right, this, right. I felt like I was there with you the whole time <laughs> Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, because it was, you know, they were meant to be linked and it actually ended up being a little more chronological than I had attend, intended right. originally. Like originally the 
essay graduation day at Addiction High was at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I got feedback from several early readers who said, you know, that they just felt like it was so much information at the start of the book. Like, okay, you did right. have a child and he did grow up <laughs> and he did struggle with drugs and he did go into recovery. You know? Right. So I, you know, I reluctantly, it took a couple people saying that to me, like, I really think you should try putting that essay further along um, for me to do that, because I had a certain vision that a mentor I had in graduate school had suggested. And I think, mm-hmm. she, you know, I think that could have worked as well. But, um, but I, I did end up moving things around. And, and so I would say, yeah, I, I'm glad to hear, though, that you didn't feel like you were bounced around too much because that can happen you know and sometimes it's not a bad you know feeling I mean I have had people say it feels like Mr. Toad's wild ride kind of (laughs) but that's probably more from what is happening (laughs) right in the book yeah yeah so um well it's been really great um speaking with you yes thank you so much I really enjoyed this yeah and congratulations thank you yeah and Again, Aaron Carr's book is Strung Out, One Last Hit, and Other Lies That Nearly Killed Me, um, a memoir. It's wonderful. You should read it, discuss it with your friends, with your, depending on their age, perhaps with your kids. <laughs> and um, it comes out February, February 25th? 25th, yeah. Okay, great. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you.